Chapter 5, Part 2 of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Anita Luz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Jen Broda. Chapter 5, Part 2 May 21st Well, Mr. Spofford and I and Dorothy are on the train again, and we are all going to Vienna. I mean, Mr. Spofford and I spent one whole day going through all of the museums in Munchen, but I am really not even going to think about it, because when something terrible happens to me, I always try to be a Christian science, and I simply do not even think about it, but I deny that it ever happened, even if my feet do seem to hurt quite a lot. So even Dorothy had quite a hard day in Munchen, because her German gentleman friend, who is called Rudolph, came for her at eleven o'clock to take her to breakfast, but Dorothy told him that she had had her breakfast, but her gentleman friend said that he had had his first breakfast too, but it was time for his second. So he took Dorothy to the half-brow house, where everybody eats white sausages and pretzels and beer at eleven o'clock. So after they had their white sausages and beer, he wanted to take her for a ride, but they could only go a few blocks, because by then it was time for luncheon. So they ate quite a lot of luncheon, and then he bought her a large-sized box of chocolates that were full of liqueurs, and took her to the matinee. So after the first act, Rudolph got hungry, and they had to go and stand in the lobby and have some sandwiches and beer. But Dorothy did not enjoy the show very much, and so after the second act, Rudolph said they would leave, because it was time for tea anyway. So after quite a heavy tea, Rudolph asked her to dinner, and Dorothy was too overcome to say no. So after dinner, they went to a beer garden for beer and pretzels. But finally, Dorothy began to come too, and she asked him to take her back to the hotel. So Rudolph said he would, but they had better have a bite to eat first. So today, Dorothy really feels just as discouraged as I seem to feel. Only Dorothy is not a Christian science, and all she can do is suffer. But, in spite of all my Christian science, I am really beginning to feel quite discouraged about Vienna. I mean, Mr. Eisman is in Vienna, and I do not see how I can spend quite a lot of time with Mr. Eisman, and quite a lot of time with Mr. Spofford, and keep them from meeting one another. Because Mr. Spofford might not seem to understand why Mr. Eisman seems to spend quite a lot of money to get me educated. And Dorothy keeps trying to depress me about Miss Chapman because she says she thinks that when Miss Chapman sees I and Mr. Spofford together, she thinks that Miss Chapman will cable for the family's favorite lunacy expert. So I have got to be as full of Christian science as I can, and always hope for the best. May 25th So far everything has really worked out for the best, because Mr. Eisman is very, very busy all day with the button profession, and he tells me to run around with Dorothy all day. So I and Mr. Spofford run around all day. So then I tell Mr. Spofford that I really do not care to go all of the places that you go to at night, but I will go to bed and get ready for tomorrow instead. So then Dorothy and I go to dinner with Mr. Eisman, and then we go to a show, and we stay up quite late at a cabaret called the Chapeau Rouge, and I am able to keep it all up with the aid of champagne. So if we keep our eye out for Mr. Spofford and do not all bump into one another when he is out looking at things that we Americans really should not look at, it will all work out for the best. 
I mean, I have even stopped Mr. Spofford looking at museums because I tell him that I like nature better. And when you look at nature, you look at it in a horse and buggy in the park, and it is much easier on the feet. So now he is beginning to talk about how he would like me to meet his mother. So everything really seems for the best after all. But I have quite a hard time with Mr. Eisman at night. I mean, at night, Mr. Eisman is in quite a state, because every time he makes an engagement about the button factory, it is time for all the gentlemen in Vienna to go to the coffee house and sit. Or else every time he makes an engagement about the button factory, some Viennese gentleman gets the idea to have a picnic, and they all put on short pants and bare knees, and they all put a feather in their hat, and they all walk to the Tyrol. So it really discourages Mr. Eisman quite a lot. But if anyone ought to get discouraged, I think that I ought to get discouraged, because after all, when a girl has had no sleep for a week, a girl cannot help it if she seems to get discouraged. May 27th. Well, finally I broke down, and Mr. Spofford said that he thought a little girl like I, who was trying to reform the whole world, was trying to do too much, especially beginning on a girl like Dorothy. So he said there was a famous doctor in Vienna called Dr. Freud, who could stop all of my worrying because he does not give a girl medicine, but he talks you out of it by psychoanalysis. So yesterday, he took me to Dr. Freud. So Dr. Freud and I had quite a long talk in the English language. So it seems that everybody seems to have a thing called inhibitions, which is when you want to do a thing and you do not do it. So then you dream about it instead. So Dr. Freud asked me what I seemed to dream about. So I told him that I never really dream about anything. I mean, I use my brains so much in the daytime that at night they do not seem to do anything else but rest. So Dr. Freud was very, very surprised at a girl who did not dream about anything. So then he asked me about all my life. I mean, he is very, very sympathetic, and he seems to know how to draw a girl out quite a lot. I mean, I told him things that I really would not even put in my diary. So then he seemed very, very intrigued at a girl who always seemed to do everything she wanted to do. So he asked me if I really never wanted to do a thing that I did not do. For instance, did I ever want to do a thing that was really violent, for instance? Did I ever want to shoot someone, for instance? So then I said, I had, but the bullet only went in Mr. Jennings' lung and came right out again. So then Dr. Freud looked at me and looked at me, and he said he did not really think it was possible. So then he called in his assistants, and he pointed at me and talked to his assistants quite a lot in the Viennese language. So then his assistants looked at me and looked at me, and it really seemed as if I was quite a famous case. So then Dr. Freud said that all I needed was to cultivate a few inhibitions and get some sleep. May 29th. Things are really getting to be quite a strain. Because yesterday, Mr. Spofford and Mr. Eisman were both in the lobby of the Bristol Hotel, and I had to pretend not to see both of them. I mean, it is quite an easy thing to pretend not to see one gentleman, but it is a quite hard thing to pretend not to see two gentlemen. So something has really got to happen soon, or I will have to admit that things seem to be happening that are not for the best. So this afternoon, Dorothy and I had an engagement to meet Count Salm for tea at four o'clock, 
Only you do not call it tea at Vienna, but you seem to call it Yauser, and you do not drink tea at Vienna, but you drink coffee instead. I mean, it is quite unusual to see all of the gentlemen at Vienna stop work to go to Yauser about one hour after they have all finished their luncheon. But time really does not seem to mean so much to Viennese gentlemen, except time to get to the coffee house, which they all seem to know by instincts, or else they really do not seem to mind if they make a mistake and get there too early. Because Mr. Eisman says that when it is time to attend to the button profession, they really seem to lose all of their interest until Mr. Eisman is getting so nervous he could scream. So we went to Dimel's and met Count Salm. But while we were having Yowser with Count Salm, we saw Mr. Spofford's mother come in with her companion, Miss Chapman. And Miss Chapman seemed to look at me quite a lot and talk to Mr. Spofford's mother about me quite a lot. So I became quite nervous because I really wished that we were not with Count Salm. I mean, it has been quite a hard thing to make Mr. Spofford think I am trying to reform Dorothy. But if I had to try to make him think that I was trying to reform Count Salm, he might begin to think that there is a limit to almost everything. So Mr. Spofford's mother seems to be deaf, because she seems to use an ear trumpet, and I really could not help overhearing quite a lot of words that Miss Chapman was using on me, even if it is not such good etiquette to overhear people. So Miss Chapman seemed to be telling Mr. Spofford's mother that I was a creature, and she seemed to be telling her that I was the real reason why her son seemed to be so full of nothing but neglect lately. So then Mr. Spofford's mother looked at me and looked at me, even if it was not such good etiquette to look at a person. And Miss Chapman kept right on talking to Mr. Spofford's mother, and I heard her mention Willie Gwynn, and I think that Miss Chapman has been making some inquiries about me, and I really think that she has heard about the time when all of the family of Willie Gwynn had quite a long talk with me and persuaded me not to marry Willie Gwynn for $10,000. So I really wish Mr. Spofford would introduce me to his mother before she gets to be full of quite a lot of prejudice, because one thing seems to be piling up on top of another thing until I am almost on the verge of getting nervous, and I have not had any time yet to do what Dr. Freud said a girl ought to do. So tonight I am going to tell Mr. Eisman that I have got to go to bed early, so then I can take quite a long ride with Mr. Spofford and look at nature, and he may say something definite, because nothing makes gentlemen get so definite as looking at nature when it is moonlight. May 30th Well, last night Mr. Spofford and I took quite a long ride in the park, but they do not call it a park in the Viennese language, but they call it a prater. So a prater is really divine, because it is just like Coney Island, but at the same time, it is in the woods, and it is practically full of trees, and it has quite a long road for people to take rides on in a horse and buggy. So I found out that Miss Chapman had been talking against me quite a lot, so it seems that she has been making inquiries about me, and I was really surprised to hear all of the things that Miss Chapman seemed to find out about me, except that she did not find out about Mr. Eisman educating me. So then I had to tell Mr. Spofford that I was not always so reformed as I am now, because the world was full of gentlemen who were nothing but wolves in sheep clothes that did nothing but take advantage of all we girls. So I really cried a lot. So then I told him how I was just a little girl from Little Rock when I first left Little Rock, and by that time, even Mr. Spofford had tears in his eyes. 
So I told him how I came from a very, very good family, because Papa was very intellectual, and he was a very, very prominent elk, and everybody always said that he was a very intellectual elk. So I told Mr. Spofford that when I left Little Rock, I thought all of the gentlemen did not want to do anything but protect we girls, and by the time I found out that they did not want to protect us so much, it was too late. So then he cried quite a lot. So then I told him how I finally got reformed by reading all about him in the newspapers, and when I saw him in the Oriental Express, it really seemed to be nothing but the result of fate. So I told Mr. Spofford that I thought a girl was really more reformed if she knew what it was to be unreformed than if she was born reformed and never really knew that was the matter with her. So then Mr. Spofford reached over and he kissed me on the forehead in a way that was full of reverence and he said I seemed to remind him quite a lot of a girl who got quite a write-up in the Bible who was called Magdalene. So then he said that he used to be a member of the choir himself. So who was he to cast the first rock at a girl like I? So we rode around in the Prater until it was quite late, and it really was divine, because it was moonlight, and we talked quite a lot about morals, and all the bands in the Prater were all playing in the distance, Mama Love Papa, because Mama Love Papa has just reached Vienna, and they all seem to be crazy about Mama Love Papa, even if it is not so new in America. So then he took me home to the hotel. So everything always works out for the best, because this morning, Mr. Spofford called up and told me he wanted me to meet his mother. So I told him I would like to have luncheon alone with his mother, because we could have quite a little tete-a-tete if there was only two of us. So I told him to bring his mother to our room for luncheon, because I thought that Miss Chapman could not walk into our room and spoil everything. So he brought his mother down to our sitting room, and I put on quite a simple little organdy gown that I had ripped all of the trimming off of, and I had a pair of black lace mitts that Dorothy used to wear in the Follies, and I had a pair of shoes that did not have any heels on them. So when he introduced us to each other, I dropped her a curtsy, because I always think it is quite quaint when a girl drops quite a lot of curtsies. So then he left us alone, and we had quite a little talk, and I told her that I did not seem to like all of the flappers that we seem to have nowadays, because I was brought up to be more old-fashioned. So then Mr. Spofford's mother told me that Miss Chapman said that she had heard that I was not so old-fashioned, but I told her that I was so old-fashioned that I was always full of respect for all of my elders, and I would not dare to tell them everything they ought to do, like Miss Chapman seems to tell her everything she ought to do, for instance. So then I ordered luncheon, and I thought some champagne would make her feel quite good for luncheon, so I asked her if she liked champagne. So she really likes champagne very, very much, but Miss Chapman thinks it is not so nice for a person to drink liquor. But I told her that I was a Christian science, and all of we Christian science seem to believe that there cannot really be any harm in anything, so how can there be any harm in a small-sized bottle of champagne? So she never seemed to look at it in that kind of a light before, because she said that Miss Chapman believed in Christian science also, but what Miss Chapman believed about things that were good for you to drink seemed to apply more towards water. So then we had luncheon, and she began to feel very, very good. 
so I thought that we had better have another bottle of champagne, because I told her that I was such an ardent Christian science that I did not believe there could be any harm in two bottles of champagne. So we had another bottle of champagne, and she became very intrigued about Christian science, because she said that she really thought it was a better religion than Presbyterians. So she said Miss Chapman used to try to get her to use it on things. But Miss Chapman never seemed to have such a large size grasp of the Christian science religion as I seemed to have. So then I told her that I thought Miss Chapman was jealous of her good looks. So then she said that that was true, because Miss Chapman would always make her wear hats that were made out of black horse's hair, because horse's hair does not weigh so much on a person's brain. So I told her I was going to give her one of my hats that has got quite large size roses on it. So then I got it out but we could not get it on her head because hats are quite small on account of hair being bobbed. So I thought I would get the scissors and bob her head, but then I thought I had done enough to her for one day. So Henry's mother said I was really the most sunshine that she had ever had in all her life, and when Henry came back to take his mother up to her room, she did not want to go. But after he got her away, he called me up on the telephone, and he was quite excited and he said he wanted to ask me something that was very, very important. So I said I would see him tonight. But now I have got to see Mr. Eisman, because I have an idea about doing something that is really, really important that has got to be done at once. May 31st. Well, I and Dorothy and Mr. Eisman are on a train going to a place called Budapest. So I did not see Henry again before I left, but I left him a letter because I thought it would be a quite good thing if what he wanted to ask me he would have to write down, instead of asking me, and he could not write it to me if I was in the same city that he is in. So I told him in my letter that I had to leave in five minutes' time, because I found out that Dorothy was just on the verge of getting very unreformed, and if I did not get her away, all I had done for her would really go for nothing. So I told him to write down what he had to say to me, and mail it to me at the Ritz Hotel in Budapest, because I always seemed to believe in the old adage, say it in writing. So it was really very easy to get Mr. Eisman to leave Vienna, because yesterday he went out to see the button factory, but it seems that all of the people at the button factory were not at work, but they were giving a birthday party to some saint. So it seems that every time some saint has a birthday, they all stop work so they can give it a birthday party. So Mr. Eisman looked at their calendar and found out that some saint or other was born practically every week in the year, so he has decided that America is good enough for him. So Henry will not be able to follow me to Budapest because his mother is having treatments by Dr. Freud, and she seems to be a much more difficult case than I seem to be. I mean, it is quite hard for Dr. Freud because she cannot seem to remember which is a dream and which really happened to her. So she tells him everything, and he has to use his judgment. I mean, when she tells him that a very, very handsome young gentleman tried to flirt with her on Fifth Avenue, he uses his judgment. So we will soon be at a Ritz Hotel again, and I must say it will be delightful to find a Ritz Hotel right in the central of Europe. June 1st. Well, yesterday Henry's letter came, and it says in black and white that he and his mother have never met such a girl as I, and he wants me to marry him. So I took Henry's letter to the photographers, 
and I had quite a lot of photographs taken of it, because a girl might lose Henry's letter, and she would not have anything left to remember him by. But Dorothy says to hang on to Henry's letter, because she really does not think the photographs do it justice. So this afternoon I got a telegram from Henry, and the telegram says that Henry's father is very, very ill in New York, and they have got to leave for New York immediately, and his heart is broken not to see me again, and to send him my answer by telegraph, so that his mind will be rested while he is going back to New York. So I sent him a telegram, and I accepted his proposal. So tonight I got another telegram, and Henry says that he and his mother are very, very happy, and Henry's mother can hardly bear Miss Chapman anymore, and Henry says he hopes I will decide to come right back to New York and keep his mother quite a lot of company, because he thinks I can reform Dorothy more in New York anyway, where there is prohibition and nobody can get anything to drink. So now I have got to make up my mind whether I really want to marry Henry after all, because I know too much to get married to any gentleman like Henry without thinking it all over. Because Henry is the kind of a gentleman who gets on a girl's nerves quite a lot, and when a gentleman has nothing else to do but get on a girl's nerves, there really seems to be a limit to almost everything. Because when a gentleman has a business, he has an office, and he has to be there. But when a gentleman's business is only looking into other people's business, a gentleman is always on the verge of coming in and out of the house. And a girl could not really say that her own time was her own. And when Henry was not in and out of the house, his mother would always be in and out of the house, because she seems to think that I am so full of nothing but sunshine. So it is quite a problem, and I seem to be quite in a quandary, because it might really be better if Henry should happen to decide that he should not get married, and he should change his mind, and desert a girl, and then it would only be right if a girl should sue him for a breach of promise. But I really think whatever happens, that Dorothy and I had better get back to New York, so I will see if Mr. Eisman will send us back. I mean, I really do not think that Mr. Eisman will mind us going back, because if he does, I will start shopping again, and that always seems to bring him to terms. But all the time I am going back to New York, I will have to try to make up my mind one way or another, because we girls really cannot help it if we have ideals, and sometimes my mind seems to get to running on things that are romantic, and I seem to think that maybe there is some place in the world where there is a gentleman who knows how to look and act like Count Psalm, and who has got money besides. And when a girl's mind gets to thinking about such a romantic thing, a girl's mind really does not seem to know whether to marry Henry or not. End of chapter 5, part 2